The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. So I'll be reading from Matthew 1, 18 to the end of the chapter. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a man, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he and he called his name Jesus. You can have a seat. Well, this morning I have the uh, privilege of walking us through Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Um, it's fitting that we sang Hark the Herald Angels Sing this morning. I think it's a fitting song to start out this morning um, as we're in this passage. But before we dive in um, to our second series in Advent, uh, today is uh, a special day, um, it's not just because we're going through this word, it's also my mother's birthday. I know she's uh, watching on the stream. So uh, mother, hello, I love you. Uh, thank you for being a decent mom. Uh, I'm kidding, it's a joke. You're a great mom. Um, I know today's hard. Uh, trust me, I know today's hard. I, I too wish uh, that Grandma was celebrating with us today, um, but I know she's celebrating in heaven. So um, I love you. I hope today is a good day for you. And perhaps the, I don't know, perhaps the Bears could beat the Packers on your birthday today. That would be a wondrous, a wondrous thing, wondrous present since I did not get you one. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, this morning we're in Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And last week, we, worked at, we looked at the first 17 verses of this chapter. We started off with a bang, just a list of names, a real thrilling uh, piece of scripture. But really, it, it seems very um, underwhelming, that passage of scripture does. It seems like it's just a list of names. But once we look closer, however, we see and realize the radical nature of Christ's genealogy. God purposefully using a broken bloodline, broken families, broken people to bring about the Messiah who would make all things new. Now we get into the inauguration of a, of a new beginning. And there's so much for us to grasp and ponder here in Matthew in these, in these, in, in these uh, few sections, in these few verses. So let us walk through this passage together. But before I do, let me open us up in a word of prayer. Lord, we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for your son, for the birth of him, that he would come to save his people from their sins. Lord, be with us all as we seek to understand your word, that the word that you have for us this morning, that it would transform us. 
And Lord, use me as a broken vessel to preach such truth. Lord, I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So marriage is a beautiful thing, so I've been told. Uh, but the covenant made between one man, one woman, is a wonderful picture of the marriage between Christ and his bride, uh, the church. And whether you're married now or perhaps you, no matter how long you've been married or you're engaged, at some point, um, it's always for a good reason that, that, that you're always planning to get married, right? That's the point of engagement. And... Uh, it's that next step in getting to um, being married to one another, and, and that's where Mary and Joseph were. They were planning to get married. They were planning to uh, be with one another, to become one flesh. Uh, but the scriptures do not describe it as engagement. They describe it as something different. Let's look at verses, uh, let's look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Engagement now has no real legal or formal obligations or requirements. Um, it's simply just the next step, really, in becoming married. There seems to be no real significance in, in Western culture. But betrothal was much different from engagement. In fact, it was much closer to marriage than it was to engagement. There were legal and formal obligations from both the man and the woman in the series of betrothal. And this, this legal covenant was treated like a marriage. It could only be broken off by a divorce. Whereas an engagement, you could just hand back the ring or the guy could ask for the ring back. Uh, it wasn't that simple when two were betrothed to one another. And Another key process to, the, to uh, being betrothed was that it lasted a year and the couple would not spend any, any time with, with one another, just the two of them. And so knowing all of those things, Mary becomes then, Mary comes found to have a child, to be born, to have, be, have, have a child conceived in her. And I can imagine, I mean, I think we can put ourselves in, in Joseph's shoes here, just the questions he's asking and the maybe the frustration the anger the the confusion uh, that that he's feeling how could this happen how could mary be pregnant did she have a, did she have an affair how could she what am i going to do i do i divorce her do i go through with this what's what are people going to think of me because there were real consequences and ramifications for a divorce um not just today, but even more so during the time of Mary and Joseph. There were, there were financial ones and social ones and consequences with the family and even personal consequences. And, and later we see, as we read in verse 19, and her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He did not want to embarrass her, did not want to humiliate Mary and had planned to instead just kind of sweep it under the rug, kind of do it quietly, make sure nobody kind of got wind of this so that she would avoid any type of shame or public humiliation. But I can imagine just the pain and sorrow in Joseph's heart, the plans they had together, the joys of being married, the future of, of raising a family, living a life of happiness and splendor. Now we get the pleasure of looking at it now and seeing, of course, that there's no reason for divorce 
Mary knew that as well. Let's try and put ourselves in her shoes. Imagine what she's feeling. Joseph, it's not what it's looked like. It's not, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm conceived from the Holy Spirit. The public shame that she's experiencing, the humiliation of no one, no one believes her. No one is on her side. The whole town is talking about her behind her back, perhaps even telling things to her face, perhaps just publicly shaming her for her alleged affair, or perhaps even shaming the both of them for having a child out of wedlock. What are they going to do? I think both Mary and Joseph, we, can, we know that they were feeling some sort of feelings throughout this, but I think both can be summarized by saying this, it wasn't supposed to be this way. It wasn't supposed to go like this. Their betrothal wasn't supposed to start with a child. Their lives weren't supposed to be plagued by a child being born out of wedlock. What were, they, what were their next steps? What were they going to do? But what neither of them understood was that all of this was preordained by the Father in heaven. Mary knew this from the moment of Jesus' conception, but it took God appearing to Joseph in a dream through an angel to tell him the truth of the matter. Let's read verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God assures Joseph this is exactly how it's supposed to go. This is exactly the plan that God had put forth for Mary and for Joseph. And not just for Mary and Joseph, but for the world, for you, for me. In the midst of their confusion, their frustration, and perhaps even their, their doubts of, good, of God's goodness, God sends his angel to plead with Joseph, no, this is the right way. This is, this is right. He says, to him, and God says to him through the angel, that Mary being conceived from the Holy Spirit was planned by the Father. That Mary being betrothed to Joseph, son of David, was planned from the beginning. That Jesus being brought into this world through broken people to save such people from their sins was planned from the beginning. All things, and not, not, not just Christ's birth, all things from, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 to now and forevermore. All things that have come to pass and will come to pass are, are planned by our perfect and good Father in heaven. This is, why, this is why Solomon implores us in Proverbs 3 to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. And in all our ways acknowledge him and he will make straight our paths. This is why Paul assures us in Philippians 1 that he who began a good work in you will see it on to completion at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Peter in 2 Peter 3 can promise us that God will keep his promises forever. God clearly has had a plan of redemption for his people. He has had a clear plan of salvation for you and for me. Yeah, it may not be the, the dream path that we have. It may not be the Ideal may not be the easiest path. It's going to be messy. It's dirty. It's difficult because of our sin. But even in the midst of such suffering and such strife, God uses those things to bring about his good and pleasing will for those who love him. 
Joseph saw this in his dream, and as soon as he awakened from his sleep, as it ends the section, verses 24 and 25, it says, When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, there's a portion in verse 20 that I, I, that I want us to hone in on, and it's often tried to be, it's been tried to be debunked by plenty of scholars and people way smarter than I am. Uh, that, but in verse 20, it confirms that Jesus was indeed conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit, I think, points to the, the radical, unexpected nature of his birth. But for Christ to be born truly of God, to be truly God and truly man, it had to happen this way. It had to happen from uh, the Holy Spirit. If, if, his, if his conception was simply from Joseph, if it was just simply son of Joseph, not conceived of the Holy Spirit, he would be just a man like us. He would not be, he would not be truly God. But thanks be to God that through the conception of the Holy Spirit, he is by God's sovereign decree, his, by, his, by his plan for us, Christ's inauguration into this world was conceived from above. And it needed to be this way so that Christ could enter into the world and live the perfect life that you and I are required to live. But as we keep reading, I think we get to the meat of this, uh, in, in the main passage, the main idea of this passage as we continue to read in verses um, as we, get, as we read in verses 20 through 23. Midway through 20. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus has come to save his people from, this, from their sins. That is the mission of Christ. Lay it out here. If you ever are doubting or wondering what his, what his mission is, or if anybody asks you that question, go to Matthew 1. Go to Matthew 1, verse 21. For he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus has come to do this and and it is it's not by accident that Jesus was named such right Jesus means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves it wasn't like Jesus was a popular name that everybody was naming their kids uh, during this time it wasn't by accident uh, it was given to him for a purpose because he was going to save his people from their sins and he's not the only person in scripture that we see a name given for a reason, right? We see Abraham. He he's, goes from Abram to Abraham because he was made the father of many nations in Genesis 17. David being a man after God's own heart. David being named is, means beloved. There are plenty of other names in scripture that, that God has used uh, in, for, his, for his glory, for his own purposes. But there's only one who's named Jesus. There's only no one that can be named 
Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh saves. And even in the naming of Christ, even these seemingly trivial things of his birth, Christ even planned, or God even planned these beforehand. Christ's purpose and mission is found in his name. It's found in his coming to earth and ultimately in who he is. But I think our, I think our, our main point here is, is this, and our, if there is one takeaway this morning, I think it would be this. The unexpected means of Christ's birth instituted an unexpected means of salvation. The birth of Christ, was, it was a new genesis. It was the beginning again, the second birth. God the Son has come to be with us and save us from our sins. God, Christ has come to give his people a new beginning. One not under bondage of sin and death, but one in the freedom of Christ. It shows that God is not just the creator of all things, but he is also the, the recreator of all things. God has instituted the, the recreation, the new genesis, the new beginning through his son by the power of the spirit. Us being born again was inaugurated by the coming of Christ. It was a shock to all who witnessed it firsthand. It should be a shock to even us today in the way that, that he came. And just in the way that Christ came and the means in which he did, his means of saving us was just as surprising and unexpected. Think of what, think of what the, the Israelites and the Jews were expecting. They were expecting a, a king to come and overthrow the tyrannical government of Caesar and the Romans. They were waiting for his triumphant, honorable entry, a strong and worthy man, a king, to lead them back to the glory days of Abraham and Moses. The days of living in the promised land of Canaan, of being protected and provided for, of defeating their enemies in battle because they had the Lord on their side. They thought they needed to be saved from their enemies, but what Christ came to show them was that they needed to be saved from their sin and from the wrath of God. He came to save you and I from our sin. First John, First John is a is a wonderful book. We're, we're, we're looking at it in Sunday school at the beginning of the year in student, with students. And it's a great book of, in letter of assurance. If, if, if you or I, if anyone is ever doubting with assurance, go to 1 John. It is a, it is a wonderful letter. 1 John 2 says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus gave up his life as a sacrifice for our sins, he also sacrificed the or he also satisfied the just and righteous wrath of God, thus providing reconciliation and peace with our Father. In heaven. The Savior of the world was not to be thought of to be born of a virgin, to be uh, in a barn lying in a, in a feeding trough, surrounded by common men like shepherds. Yet, even God used this unexpected birth of the Messiah to bring about an unexpected path of salvation. The unexpected means of, of Christ's coming reveals another truth, I think, about our Creator and our Sustainer. He is faithful. He is faithful to us. 
He, he, God was faithful to Joseph and to Mary in his declaration that their child was indeed conceived from the Holy Spirit. God was faithful in, to David in 2 Samuel 7, saying this, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He will be his father, and he, I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. He was faithful to his promises of David. God was faithful to his promises with Abraham when he declared that he would be the father of many nations with a multitude of descendants and offspring that would live on forever. God was faithful to his first promise of redemption in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3.15, he, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From the moment of the fall in Genesis 3 to the birth of Christ and his death and resurrection to now and forevermore, God is faithful always. God has never ceased to be faithful. Though we, his creation, continuously disobey and are unfaithful to him, he has chosen to remain faithful to us because of his love for us. I think that begs us the question then, why, why do we doubt? Why, why do we often think that the promises of God will return void? Why do we flee in times of trouble and seek answers by our own strength and might, by our own wisdom and knowledge? Why, why do we, the creative ones, lack faith in the faithfulness of our creator and our God? The unexpected means of Christ's birth as well reveals that God is now with us. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. He dwells with you. He dwells with me. He dwells not just on earth, but now by the power of the Holy Spirit, he dwells in us. God is dwelling among us while we meet this morning. He is here with us. He is near to our hearts and to our minds. That's why John begins his gospel by saying this truth in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it continuing in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace in truth. We know that God is transcendent, meaning he is transcendently above us. That is that, that God is, is so far removed and above us in his holiness, in his, in his righteousness. Yet, in his glory and majesty, though he is so transcendently high above us, he has come to be present with us and dwell with us. He has promised to be with us 
forever. Let's just consider that for a second. This God who is, who is completely and absolutely holy, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things that are, that are in it, the creator and sustainer of you and of me, the one that is holy, 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 the one who is far above any other thing, he has chosen to reveal himself through becoming like you and me, human. This brings me, and I think this should bring all of us great comforts of, great tidings of comfort and joy. How often have we gone through, through pain, through suffering, through loss, through grief, through turmoil and strife and said to ourselves, no one understands. No one understands what I'm going through. No one understands the pain. No one understands what I'm feeling right now. I am all alone. And that might be true. There may be people who have gone through the same things that we have. There may be people who have struggled with similar things that we have struggled with, but perhaps they may not know exactly what we're feeling, what we're going through. But thanks be to God. And thanks be to his word that I can assure us that, that our God in heaven does understand. He does understand our pain and sorrow. He does understand our grief and turmoil. There may not be a created being in this world that can truly understand what you and I may be going through or what we're struggling with, but our creator does. And it's not just, he doesn't just get us to understanding. He's not just a, a therapist who helps us to understand what we feel and, and sympathize with us and show empathy and compassion but he also transforms us out of such things. He grants us victory over such things, even death. He has granted us victory, not just understanding in the struggle, but victory over such things because of what Christ accomplished in his life and his death and his burial and ultimately in his resurrection. So the unexpected, the unexpected birth, everything that was unexpected and kind of just threw everybody off at the birth of Christ, brought about the unexpected means of salvation, that Christ would die, that this king that would save his people would die, on a cross even. But it was the only way. And it was the only answer to our biggest need. I, I, we, echo, we echo Paul in Romans 7. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And how does he answer that? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the question, right? That's, that's the question that we are all wrestling with, that mankind has wrestled with. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And we get to proclaim humbly and boldly, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This was the only way for our sins to be atoned for. There, this was the only way to satisfy God's just and righteous wrath. This was the only way to accomplish salvation for us, to assure us that one day we would be in complete, perfect union with God. No other prophet, priest, or king could accomplish it. No other God could save. No other man could earn it by his or her own merit are only through Christ, in Christ alone, could our salvation be purchased. This morning, as we, as we 
look at, and as we, as we look at Matthew 1, 18 through 25, as we look at other parts in Scripture, like in Luke 1, they give us even more detail about the birth of Christ. As you think of everything that's surrounding that, how unexpected it was to both Mary and Joseph, how unexpected it was to all who were involved, except, of course, our God in heaven. As we contemplate these things, I think we should rest in the beauty of it. I think we should rest in that this, the unexpected means of Christ's birth brought about an unexpected means of salvation. Not one of works, not one of merit, not one based upon you and who you are and what you've done, based on what, but based upon what Christ has done on that cross. It's now empty. And he's, no, he's no longer on there. The cross that is now, we have victory over. It's not a shameful thing, but rather it's one that we look at and give glory to God. So as we turn our hearts to communion this morning, if, if you are here with us this morning and perhaps this is your first time hearing this truth of the gospel that Christ coming in an unexpected way brought about the only means of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Perhaps you are sitting here thinking, ah, there's, more, there's still more for me to do. There's still more for me to accomplish. Yeah, what Christ did on the cross, that's good. Thanks, but there's other things I need to do. I need to meet him halfway. Perhaps you're maybe even thinking that there's still maybe another way, a different path to obtaining salvation. If that, if that is you this morning, come talk to me afterwards. Um, or come talk to Ryan or Jeremy. Come talk to Ryan, uh, any of the elders uh, afterward. We would love to. We would love to share that message of the gospel, the assurance of salvation that we have in Christ and the assurance that's offered to you. But we would ask that this morning as we partake of communion that you would not. Uh, we consider this a family meal, a family meal for those believing and trusting in Christ, in Christ alone for their salvation, who look at the birth of Christ and see their salvation, see their Messiah uh, in lying in a manger. If that is you this morning, if, if you can confess with your heart and with your tongue that God has saved you from your sin, that Christ and Christ alone is your rock, is your shepherd, is your salvation, is your Messiah. And as we come to the table this morning, as we eat the bread and, and drink of the grape juice, that we would give glory to our God in heaven, not just for, for the birth of his son, for the coming of the Messiah, that the unexpected birth of Christ would bring about salvation for all who believe in him. Let us pray. Lord, we praise you this morning. We give you thanks for the birth of your son, for the coming of the Messiah. Emmanuel, God with us, you have chosen to dwell with us, and not just to dwell with us, but to dwell with us to, to ultimately bring about your ultimate purpose, that Christ would save us from our sins. Lord, as we come to the table, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, the burdens, the stress of, of this life, the burdens, the stress of the Advent season and of Christmas time, perhaps, Lord, the burdens of 
of sorrow and of grief, of strife and turmoil, of, of whatever we're struggling with, Lord, may we lay that at the cross. May we lay those burdens upon you. You call us to cast our cares upon you because you love us. Lord, may this, may this meal be refreshing to our soul, that we would rest in what Christ has done on the cross, what he has accomplished for us by the shedding of his blood. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.